0: Post your free job on linkedin.com slash recommend today. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to another episode of the Rise Together podcast. I am excited. I have a very special guest in Lisa Tadeo. She's an American author, journalist, two-time recipient of the Pushcart Prize for her short stories. Her 2019 book, Three Women, became a number one New York Times bestseller. We're going to talk about it. Three Women tells the true stories of Maggie Lena and Sloan, each of whom for utterly personal reasons, yet profoundly relatable reasons, have complicated understandings of their own needs. She's just published her first novel, Animal, a depiction of female rage at its rawest and most visceral. What does that even mean? I can't wait to ask. Uh, It is uh, in some ways the exploration of the fallout from a male dominated society. Would you please rise, take off your hats and welcome Lisa Tadeo to the Rise Together podcast. What would the world look like if we all pushed ourselves to have candid conversations with people who didn't look like us, think like us or live like us? I'm Dave Hollis, and I'm on a mission to learn more about this world by meeting more of the people who live here. You may not always agree with everything you hear but I guarantee you'll come away more informed on topics you might never have thought to seek out before. This isn't just a podcast, it's a community. And when we raise each other up, we all rise, together. Hi, Lisa.
1: Hi, Dave, how are you?
0: I am doing well. I am so fascinated by you and your work. You are a super, as I mentioned, accomplished author, I also write books, so I have uh, respect (laughs) for your game. Uh, I've just attempted to introduce you to our audience, but uh, I bet you can do an even better job. Would you, in your own words, tell us a little bit about yourself, why you believe yourself to be on this planet and the kind of good you hope to do?
1: Well, I really like to tell the stories of the more marginalized, darker paths in life. I think that there are well, there's more than two kinds of people, but for the purposes, the sake of this argument, there are two kinds of people, those who have had relatively easy-ish lives where not a lot of stuff has happened. And those who have had the opposite where, you know, they've had a lot of loss or, or, or grief of some sort or another. And for me, I, I, what I see my, um, my role and 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 my goal in, in in my own creative life is to tell those stories to make the people who have had those more those bloodier paths to feel seen and comforted.
0: Interesting. So does this come in any way because of your own experience having Maybe. been one or the other of these? Did you have uh, a harder a harder road at uh, some point in your earlier part of life?
1: Yeah. I mean, I definitely have. I lost both my parents fairly early um, in my twenties and in fairly, you know, my father was in a, a very brutal car accident and my mother had cancer shortly thereafter. And, and I was very attached to both of them. So their loss was, was completely world ending for me in a lot of ways. Uh, I had, I also lost many other people in my 20s, my uncle and aunt who lived with us when I was a kid, my grandparents, my dog, it was just, it was, my 20s was like a, a wasteland. And, and in the midst of that loss, I was finding myself, you know, single and alone in, in New York city with all the sort of, when, when you're kind of open to the, when, you, when you're kind of like raw and exposed and vulnerable to the world in a certain way, people will take advantage and, and you'll just do different things. You'll just, you know, you'll just do things that you, you know, looking for father figures and all, all the, all the, you know, all the stuff that one does. I had a very rocky start to my young adulthood and I am always very, very, uh, amongst my friends, like none of my fr- my friends now are just kind of dealing with their parents getting older and, and getting sick and stuff like that. And I, I experienced all that very early and, and there's not a lot of people uh, around me had those experiences and I felt incredibly alone in them. And so I turned to books a lot. I turned to um, like Joan Didion's year of magical thinking uh, was something that really helped me when I had, when I had lost my dad. And, you know, it, it, it just, I, I had to kind of go out of the, out of my, my general purview to, to meet other people who could understand what I had been through. And so that's how I see my, my sort of, what I might be able to contribute artistically to the world is to do that same thing that I was able to get from, from books and, and art when I was going through it.
0: Yeah, I mean, I've said the, the goal of this show more than anything is to act as an empathy bridge of some sort for anyone who can, in putting themselves in the shoes of someone else, feel more connected in this human experience and less alone. I mean, everyone, all of us, we're looking for connection in some way and to be able to see yourself or your story reflected in someone else's, such a gift. How did the experience of your 20s contribute to your work? Or were you were, were you working already? Or is it just something that you've drawn on once you became more actively a writer?
1: Well, when my parents passed, I, I, I received my book contract for three women shortly after both my parents passed away. And I would not have been able to sort of leave my home base which at the time was was New York but but really it was it was New Jersey when my parents had passed away but I, I wouldn't have been able to pick up and go and drive uh, a conversion van across the country multiple times because my parents would have been like what the fuck are you doing so but the the main thing that happened was because I had experienced that loss and and you just brought up the word empathy which is one of my favorite words in general Um, and I feel like we all need a lot more of it, is that I was able to relate to people, women predominantly on the road, who had also experienced different forms of loss. And I think that, you know, there's people who, if I had not had that, that experience, and someone, you know, told me a sad story, I might have kind of held myself at a distance from it and observed it, and heard it, but not given back the kind of feeling that would have made the person tell me the real truths of it. So, you know, I mean, I think we all like to look at whenever something bad happens. We're like, okay, well, well, look what usefulness can come out of this, which is the only thing that helps me as a Capricorn get through. So I was very much like, you know, talking to these women going, well, I felt this. And so I get how you feel. And so the empathy was a real, I I wouldn't have written, I wouldn't have, the women wouldn't have spoken to me in the ways in which, in the unguarded ways in which they, they did. If I didn't, if I wasn't bringing them the same sort of level of understanding.
0: Well, it sounds like there was catharsis in it, but also for anyone who isn't familiar, this was not a short process, right? Like you mentioned that you had this opportunity to go in a conversion van, but you crossed the country, I believe six times. And that crossing the country six times also happened over the course of seven or eight years. So will you just describe a little bit for anyone who's unfamiliar, like this process of writing as much as there was catharsis, like it was a, it was, you were an investigative journalist as much as you were an author of this number one New York Times bestselling book?
1: I wanted to write a book about desire in America. I had read Thy Neighbor's Life by Gates Lees. I I knew that he had spent a long time on it. I met him. Um, he was for a short time a sort of unofficial mentor on the project. And uh, I was very interested in, in just talking about how people just like I wanted to tell some specific stories that would tell a larger story, but not that the larger story would be like, this is how everyone feels in America, but more like this is how these specific people feel. And I think that, you know, if you do some, something specific enough, if you get deep and honest enough that, that that that's when similarities do emerge, but the similarities are not the window dressings. Like, it's not like, oh, you know, I, we have the same sweatshirt. And so that makes us, you know, it's more like, oh. I felt that way too when that same thing happened to me. And so that's what I I wanted to do. But in order to do it, one of the main problems was finding people who had the right mix of being forthright and forthcoming and honest, not doing it for ego, not doing it to be paid for it. And and so finding subjects was very difficult. So in order to do that, I was crisscrossing the country in the span I was putting up signs that said, do you have a tale of unrequited love and, you know, unbridled passion. I mean, the signs were like ridiculous. And I was popping them up on like truck, state, truck stop, um, bulletin boards and bathroom. I really love doing it in bathrooms because in bathrooms, you can just go in there. You can like paper the entire fucking stalls and nobody can see you. And it's on there. It's totally different to walk into like, you know, a gas station and be like, um... Hi, can I? or sometimes I would pretend to be asking a question and then just like tape the thing up. Like while I was talking, cause it's It was embarrassing. It wasn't like, I was like, someone sees this sign because the person who I was waiting for to read the sign and be like, yes, I want to talk to this person wasn't going to be one of the people who was going to stop me from doing it. So I like, I knew my audience had to, I, I had to reach my audience in this like secret way.
0: Kind of. Yeah.
1: So I did a lot of signs Posting signs, I did a lot of Craigslist like advertising and and talking to people. But the the first thing that I did that really was the thing that landed was I moved to Indiana. I moved to Indiana because it was near the Kinsey Institute, which is you know this where they study sex. And so that was one thing. Another thing was there was a doctor there who who had a number of patients that he said was were interested in talking to me. But mostly. I moved to Indiana and this kind of like, I gotta get out of New York. And not just cause New York was not America or whatever, but because New York was too much my home base. And I, you know, it's like at eight o'clock instead of doing uh interviews if my friends like came down and were like, Oh, you're just a writer, you don't have a real job, let's go get a drink. You know, like like that was too much of a um of a pitfall. So I moved to Indiana and um and that's where I met the first woman, uh Lena, who, who was one of the women in- one of the three
0: women. So uh, you you narrow it down to three, but how many people were like in the pool of possible candidates before you got to three?
1: There, I mean the 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 first draft of the book was about twenty five people. Oh wow! Yeah, and, and men were in there, not a lot, but but there were men. There were you know there were, there were gay people. There were there it was a, it was a very, I was trying to cut as wide of a swath as possible my initial proposal for the book was that was that it would be you know every single thing would be represented and because I wanted it to be this is America you know like that's what yeah. I was, but the problem is that even if you have 25 and if you have like 105 you know it's still not America because America is like one billion and five so I, I started feeling like even though I had all these like sort of represented places and people that it's still it. that I had these three stories and I had actually four, four or five stories that were really deeper, but the three ones that ended up staying in were the ones that were, they were telling me the most, they were willing for me to like live amongst them, which is not, you know, which is kind of rare to be like, I basically was, you know, I'm a very, I like to think of myself as being non-creepy and non-invasive. But I was acting creepy and I'd be like, um, what are you doing on that? Oh, can we go to the Macy's together? Cause I, and it's hard to explain to somebody, I want to, I want to write about your life, you know? And that means I want to write what kind of milk you're buying in the store. So, so to find the right mix of people who were both interesting and had stories to tell and also were okay with somebody being creepy was a, a tough, a tough thing. And those three women are the ones that satisfied all of those things. And the reason you know, at, at the end of the day, it's like my editor and I and, and and other people that I asked to look at it, we would just be flipping through the stories to get back to those three. And, and that was really what sold it for me is like, these are, this is what's interesting. And at the end yeah. of the day, you're not going to read a book unless it's interesting.
0: So uh, It's such a fascinating thing. How, were there ever times when you saw or were worried at all about performative moments. Like if someone was watching me, I mean, I've thought about like, oh, if I was being followed by a reality TV crew or if I what, like, you would get a version of who I think you're hoping for me to be in a way that wouldn't have necessarily been authentic until some length of time where it just becomes normal and maybe that's what it was they had to get used to you just rolling to the grocery store with them but did you ever notice like or maybe it wasn't even at the beginning like performative moments of them trying to be what you were hoping what they thought no. you were hoping them to be
1: no not at all and that's every bit a testament to those three women in specific and not anything I did or they were they are honest people who like who, who had so much. Self awareness, in the sense of like not being super hyper aware of self, but like you know, I think it also is telling that each of these three are not really big on social media even now. There's something to be said for people who live their lives more quietly. I think people who are more aware, not self aware, but like aware personality, like aware of of what is getting projected, these were not bad. And that was part of the selection criteria for me. And I was able to figure it out pretty early on. Like I, my brother, I interviewed my brother to begin with because he was going through a situation, a divorce. And so I was interviewing him and I could tell my brother would be like posturing and like sounding like a Lothario. And I'm like, yo man, I know that's not true. (laughs) <laughs> like you are a dork and you are lying to me. So, you know, I was pretty good at not just with my brother, but in general at, at, at sussing that out. So no, so, so, so the performative stuff, yes, I saw it amongst other people, but these three never not one.
0: Awesome, that's amazing. So for someone who doesn't know anything about the book, what is the book about?
1: So the book is the, the it's a granular um, look at the lives of three women One of them, um, Lena, who's the one I mentioned I'd moved to Indiana, I had started a discussion group in a doctor's office and Lena walked in and said that her husband no longer wanted to kiss her on the mouth and the sensation offended him. And she had concurrently uh, rediscovered the love of her life from high school on Facebook. And so I was like, wow, this is a story that's about to unfold in real time. And so I would follow Lena around uh, in that creepy way that I mentioned. There were times when she would go to meet her lover at this like sort of hallowed spot called the river. And I would wait down the street at this winery and she would come and tell me like play by play what had happened. And I would write it down or she would text it to me. So it was just a very um, symbiotic relationship of her I was kind of functioning as a diary diary for her which was really great and and she had no one to tell because it was a secret and also all of her sort of family and friends were you know it was very small Indiana Catholic not okay so I was there to to hear and I, I needed someone to talk to me and she needed someone to listen so it was kind of a, it was really perfect amazing I still um to this day I talked to all three women but Every time I get on a phone call with Lena, we go right back into that state. I'm like, now what's happening? You know, like, she's just so forthcoming, interesting, kind, gracious, open, and and fully aware of what a human being deserves to have in the world, which is happiness. And then the second woman, young woman, Maggie, I was in North Dakota at this sort of like um, this diner, this uh, cowboy, it was called the Cowboy Cafe. And I was researching another story about a group of women, illegal immigrants who were being trucked out to the local oil fields to have sex with the men who worked out there. And while I was in this place sort of researching this, I read an article about a young woman named Maggie who a trial had just ended in Fargo, North Dakota. She had accused her English teacher of of an inappropriate relationship. And nobody believed her, even though there were all these phone calls after midnight for hours with this teacher. So I I drove to Fargo like the next day and I introduced myself to her mom. Um, and that was the second woman who was in the book. And the third and final, her name is Sloan. Uh, I had moved to Newport, Rhode Island because I... I liked the idea of a community that, much like the Hamptons and the Vineyard and Nantucket, where you know, in the summer it's like super um, aspirational and everyone's there, and then in the winter it just boards up and there's just locals. And I really was interested in, in the dichotomy between the two. So I moved there, and very early on, people were like, "Oh, you're writing a book about desire. You should talk to Sloan." And Sloan uh, was a woman, is a woman, an entrepreneur whose husband liked to watch her have sex um, with other people in front of him. And uh, it was just, you know, it, what was interesting about Sloan is that, you know, we think of the word swinger and, and often it's like a very cliched thing. And I had been, I had I had spent some time in a sort of swingers community in Cleveland that I, I ultimately was not, didn't want to write about because it didn't, there was no love story situation. Like people, like I was always curious with swinging. I'm still so curious about it. But I'm always like, you know, I'm curious about the little moments of jealousy, little flare-ups of of that stuff. And a lot of the people I spoke to in the swingers community, it was kind of, it was so free love and everything's cool. That was great, but there was no conflict. And, And for me, I was just like, if I were just writing a sex encyclopedia, I would do that. But by that point, I realized I wanted something really you know that had a story and heart to it, and and Sloane's story had this love story with her husband that was really like they have a solid relationship, but because of the aberrations, you know, people can't really square it. And she also had had this man come into their lives who was kind of exciting. Uh, and, and it was, it was like the first time she was really into someone. And so they had this kind of like, it, it was just, it, it was a developing story that was really interesting. So, and it also was cool because it was in a location that, you know, it was different than Fargo in Indiana. And so geographically it, it felt the device spread.
0: So fascinating. I mean, it's just, you're getting a uh, voyeur's view of these very specific detailed lives that of course exist but it almost like it feels fictionalized and yet you are someone who was reporting on it because of the unfettered access that you were given in such a like it's it's such a rare thing to be able to kind of be the eavesdropping listen in on conversation or hearing the play-by-play of what actually is happening I love the idea too like just the little Intimate details that come in that flare of jealousy, or in the whatever it ends up being, because so I think there's a relatability for you know you don't have to be in uh, an environment like the one that you're necessarily describing to have felt that kind of feeling as a reader. So um, good for you. So it's just such a fascinating, fascinating thing. Did you always were were you someone who grew up thinking oh I'm gonna be a writer when I get older, or was that something that you grew into as as like kind of time went by?
1: I always wanted to be a writer. Um, when I was a kid, when I was like a like before I could read I used to like take a book and like for every word that I didn't like know like the what it how to say it I would just put my own word in and because I'm neurotic I was <laughs> I was like word for word and then I would pause at commas so I always wanted to I've always written um short stories so yeah I've always wanted to be a writer. I did not I did not have dreams of being a nonfiction writer, to be honest, but I find that I like doing all kinds of writing and I'm happy that I've been exposed to all different things. And I'm, I'm always, I'm just, I think that a lot of people, I think it's like people want to like, there's this idea that you must stay in your lane when it comes to art and when it comes to whatever. And you know, and it's like the second somebody kind of wants to branch out of something to do something else, everyone's like, oh, wait, hold on a second. That actor is not a stinger. And it's like, I think we should all just chill out, you know, and be cool and let people do. But I I mean, I just say that because I, I talk to a lot of younger people. Um, and that's one of my favorite things to do is talking to younger people about getting starts. And I, I think that there's this sort of, I always think about Jay-Z saying, you know, that people are like, oh, well, you know, Sinatra, your idol. And he's like, why would I, why would I want Sinatra to be my, like, yeah, I like Sinatra, but like, I'm the, like, I want to be the whatever, you know? And I think that, I think we tend to try to keep people down in that way. Uh, So whenever I just, so I guess another one of my goals in life is to help younger people just be able to do, I just think there's not enough freedom. Yeah. art, and, and I, it bums me out.
0: There's something rad, though. I'm like, I, number one, I didn't even know what a pushcart prize was until I was preparing <laughs> for the interview, so congrats on winning two of those. But, like, you know, to, like, be someone who has been recognized for short stories, for nonfiction, and now you have a, a fiction novel we'll talk about in a second. But, I mean, there's something awesome in, like, being a multi-hyphenate author, right? Just, like, showing that, yeah, you can you can use the the, the words in any way that you feel like, and you don't have to necessarily hamstring yourself to, or or keep yourself pigeonholed into any single part of the, the craft, just follow it where it leads. Yeah. I know your most recent book just came out here in June. It's called Animal. In the intro, I described it as a depiction of female rage. I don't even, I don't even know what that means, but for, <laughs> uh, for someone who uh, is intrigued by the idea of female rage or uh, by any of the conversation we've had so far, tell me a little bit about animal and what you'd hope for a reader who picks it up to get from it.
1: So it's part of what we we started talking about when we first started talking is the idea of the empathy and comfort for those who have lived the bloodier lives. And for me, that's what animal. That's what I kind of set out. I mean, I set out to tell the story, but my interest lies in 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 that in the fact that you know there's there's this woman, an animal, who uh, the, the book starts out on the first paid, the first line is a man shoots himself, a married man shoots himself in in the head in front of her while she's having dinner with another married man. And she's like, you know, let me tell you how it got to here kind of thing. And and there's a lot of rage in it. The rage is not anti-man per se. It's more uh, uh, the rage, a lot of the rage that I wanted to talk about is the rage that comes from grief. When my parents passed away, when my dad passed away, I was like, I want to help the world. I want to be a doctor like he was. You know, and then my mom died and I was like, fuck everybody. <laughs> you know? like, just like enough, like it's not fair. And I would see people in the street, you know, and I'd be like, why is that person alive? why is that person that person's a dick why is he alive why is my dad dead and that guy's alive so that that is a lot of where the rage that I wanted to explore an animal and then there's also the sort of if there's there is the rage of what of what living in a male dominated society has done and to be frank uh, for me personally while I have been you know I've had issues with with men and stuff most of my issues have been with women and the way that women judge one another. And that's something that I find, I find that, you know, obviously we have things we're finally telling men predominantly what we don't want, how we don't want to be treated, et cetera. But we're still not really telling other women how we do want to be treated. And I think that when we sort of we don't, we still don't have a sisterhood. And a lot of the rage is the idea of that too, that that women kind of, you know, in polite company pretend to be all for one another, but then behind the scenes, yeah, they're not. and and that's and you know it's not their slash our fault. There's a lot of biological competition that that we cannot control, stuff like that. And so I understand all that. That being said, I wanted to explore that. I wanted to explore. So so the book is about a woman who a man shoots himself in front of her. It kicks off this sort of desire for her to to know how she got there, and she goes on this cross country trip to from New York to LA to find this woman who holds the key to her path. And, and in LA, she ends up being living in this sort of commune in Topanga Canyon, uh, which I don't know if you're familiar, but Topanga is a wild place. It's beautiful. Then you're in LA, but you're not in LA. You're like on these like mountains and there's snakes and coyotes and unbearable heat. So I was I was also really interested in in setting something in Topanga Canyon where I did live for some time because I find it to be such a hellscape. It's beautiful and and wild. It's just kind of beastly and I, and I I love it. But I also wanted to like really nail it down.
0: It's amazing. I know Topanga Canyon well. I went to Pepperdine, so I've driven. Oh! It- Many, many times. And I do. I love that area. So good. I
1: wanted to go to Pepperdine.
0: Did you? Oh. I, I don't know
1: why I did. I just would see the, I mean, it's a great school. But the location. Would, okay. Yeah. That's great. Yeah. But I remember the catalogs and I was just like, I had the catalog and I was like, yeah, like, why would I go anywhere? I mean, I ended up going to NYU. I don't know why, but like, you know, I was looking at the catalogs, and I'm like, whoa, these people know how to live.
0: Right. Yeah. Uh, what is your writing process like? How do you write?
1: Whenever my six-year-old is sleeping is how I write. <laughs> um, I, I, you know, it changes. I'm, we're doing the, I'm adapting Three Women as a, a limited series for Showtime right now. So a lot of what's going on is is production meetings and stuff like that we finished writing all the episodes so that's cool but uh but there's a lot of so, so i i it's been really so i have a lot of writing uh, things that i have to do and i i tend to squeeze them in between meetings i do not have a beautiful process anymore i used to i used to wake up early and be, you know, like 5 a.m. and coffee and whatever. Or I used to go and write in coffee shops. And I used to have these lovely writing process. And I could have answered the question and it would have just sounded so idyllic. But now it's like, I'm like, can you shut up? I just have, I need five minutes. So that's my writing. <laughs> that's what it looks like. Uh,
0: so once you're done, I am mean, the Showtime thing, so exciting, congratulations. Can't wait to see your work adapted on the screen. Do you start writing a new book anytime soon? Or is that a thing you have to wait until you're done with this window to be able to focus on?
1: So um, my next book is a collection of my short stories. Oh, um, rad. That will be out, I think, next summer. I also have just uh, started writing a book about grief, a nonfiction. And then there's another novel that I'm also kind of hoping to work on concurrently. So yes, I mean, am I going to start those things right now? I'm probably going to do them in tandem as much as possible, but yeah. It's amazing.
0: I cannot work on two things at once. I have to work on one thing and finish one thing, and then work on another thing. I, I do it too. Makes me, in, makes me weird.
1: In in theory, I do too, but I I feel that's I kind of I've I've spread myself out in a certain way, and now I, I the thing that I hate to do more than anything else is let people down. So I would rather kill myself than say I can't do this anymore.
0: Yeah, yeah. Now that's oh. real. Uh, if someone is not yet familiar with you, your work, what you do on social media, anything like where can people find you on the interwebs?
1: Lisa D today on Instagram. And I think it's the same thing on Twitter.
0: And if people want to buy your books, I assume that they are available every single place that books are sold.
1: They are available. And it's funny, every time one of my friends who doesn't quite realize that I'm a published author, they'll be like in Colorado at like a regular, you know, a big bookstore. And they're like, look what I found. And I'm like, yeah. Yeah. Yeah.
0: I write books. <laughs>
1: That's cool. Or like the guy that came into like fix our Plumbing the other day and saw like one of my books. And it says like, you know, on the. Blurt, like on Animal, it says, like, author of the number one, you know, three women, whatever. And he was like, have you ever thought about selling your books on Amazon? And I'm like, Oh. I, I hadn't, but now that you say that, I yeah, I could get some more eyes on it that way. So yeah, so I, yes, they are sold wherever books are sold. That's really funny.
0: <laughs> All right, uh, we finish every episode with the same question. If you could leave our audience with a single takeaway, it might be an idea, question, an actionable piece of advice. What is the one thing you want to leave with our listeners today?
1: If someone is being a dick... Or not a nice person, try to imagine what may have happened earlier that day that caused them to act. Like
0: that. Ooh, that's good. How much more grace might you give if you were to think about the fact that <laughs> yes. they could have had something happen before the interaction they're having with you? Yep. Lisa, today, oh, you're cool. I like you. I'm excited hey, to see you. more of your work. Uh, I'm uh, excited for people in this audience to uh, discover it if they have not yet. Thank you so much for coming on the show Dave. today. Awesome. Uh, if you enjoyed this episode and how could you have not, I hope that you will take a picture of the episode and share it with every single human being you've ever met in your entire life. Tag myself, tag Lisa D. Tadeo on Instagram. <laughs> I hope that you have a fantastic week. Until next time, be considerate of what someone may have been through before you judge them for being mean to you. <laughs> See you next week on the Rise Together podcast. Rise Together is hosted by me, Dave Hollis. This show is edited by Andrew Weller with production support by Sterling Coates. Cameron Berkman is our executive producer. Rise Together is a product of The Hollis Company.